Thanks for joining us at Faith Bible Chapel. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and brings you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service, find a small group, or simply find out more about the church, stop by our website at www.faith.church. We're continuing our series on Jesus is Better from the book of Hebrews, and I, and I, I so appreciate Pastor Jim's messages over the last couple of weeks. Come on, can we give Pastor Jim a hand? Come on, we love you. Love you. Um, it's a great honor to serve with him on this staff. And so we're continuing today in the book of Hebrews. And so as you get into the book of Hebrews, there's a lots of different things that you can look at and study. This book is slammed, packed, full of just incredible truths, meaty things. You, you have to wait through and, and, and read them and understand the context of them. And uh, so we've been doing that over the last several weeks. Today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to something that is a little unconventional how you would approach the passage today. But I'm going to be talking about the tears of Jesus. And we're looking out of Hebrews chapter 5. But the book of, book of Hebrews has a single-minded attention to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. From its very first verse in chapter 1 begins with the statement of who Jesus is and what he has done. And so important for us to understand what Jesus has done. There's going to be times in your life that you're going to go through struggles. You're going to fall flat on your face because you're going to mess up. You're going to fall in temptation. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to be wobbling with the, the world's um, ways and their influence on your life. And you're going to need to know, wait a minute, Jesus has gone before me. He has paved the way. I'm going to put him in his rightful place. Therefore, I'm going to finish the race that God has put out for me to run. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He's constantly telling them, Jesus is better. Don't go back to the old ways. Don't go back to the temple and make sacrifice for your sin. Jesus has made the sacrifice. It's done. You are, you're completed. You're forgiven. You're holy. Now, come on, let's move on and serve Jesus fully in your life. And so the rest of the book, after you get out of chapter one, is this incredible book dwells on the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus our Savior. And so we're going to continue to look at that today. And the heart of this book is simply this. If you could just comprehend, if you could just understand who Jesus is, if you would just place Jesus in the place in your life and your heart, and you would just understand how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, how much he's crazy about you, how much he adores you, even when you mess up, he's proud of you, he's championing you. When you walk in the room, he says, that's my girl, that's my boy. He loves you so much. If you could just understand that, then you would be able to preserve in the faith against all opposition, against all strategies of the enemy, against all difficulties. You would run the race that your Jesus has set out for you to run. Amen? Whew, that was fun. I'm exhausted now. Okay. So we're continuing with this incredible book. And I want to read to you a passage out of Hebrews chapter 5. But I, I, I want to share with you this it's, it's a snippet out of, this, out of this chapter that is explaining how Jesus is the great high priest. And maybe if you're a little unfamiliar about high priests, in the temples, how God laid out the order of worship and the order of forgiveness is that you would have to go and make sacrifices. And only certain people of a certain lineage could be the high priest and could make the sacrifice. And so the writer of this book is, is referring to this that's what's going on. He's referring to the temple. He's referring to people maybe wanting, or these people who were wanting to go back, wanting to go back to their old, old ways. 
But there's this little scripture that we're going to look at. And I'm going to talk about the tears of Jesus today because it might be kind of strange to think that Jesus would weep or Jesus would cry because we think, no, it's Jesus. He's got it all together. What, would he, what does he have to cry about? What would he have to, uh, to, to have any type of grief or anxiety and, and pray through and have to pray through things or have to struggle with emotions? In his own? What, what is this? He's fully God. Yes, he is fully God. But my friends, he's also fully man. He's fully just like you and me. And the prophet Isaiah spoke about what the Savior would be like when he came to this world. And he said this out of Isaiah 53, he said that the Messiah, Jesus, would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So what does that have to do with you? What does that have to do that Jesus was a man of sorrows, that Jesus was acquainted with grief? And you might, you might feel like this is your life verse. You're like, yep, that's my life. Well, let me tell you something. Because your Savior was a man of sorrows because your Savior was acquainted with grief. No matter what you're carrying today, no matter what you're dealing with today, no matter what anguish, no matter what, what difficulties, no matter what grief, no matter what sorrow you are carrying today, you can run to Jesus and he can comfort you right where you are today. And I hope you know that. And that's really kind of the, the, the whole purpose of this message is for us to see Jesus as a man of sorrow acquainted with grief so that you can understand that he understands what you're going through. So many times I heard this, this statement in Bible college. I said, well, you know, God had to come to earth and become like us so that he would know what it is like to be like us. And I never really fully could grasp that because I thought, no, he's God. God knows everything. And then I realized one day, no, no, no. God came to this earth to be one of us so that we would know that he knows what it's like to be one of us. So that he would understand. So that we would know. That he understands my pain. He understands what I'm going through. And I don't know what you're going through today. And in a room this size, there's probably lots of different things you're going through. Pain, anguish, grief, sorrow. And I pray today that you meet the comfort of Jesus Christ and he holds you close. And you can weep together as he brings healing and comfort to your heart. So let's read. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, this is what the writer says about Jesus. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, speaking about God. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. I really want to focus on this whole idea of the tears of Jesus. Jesus offered cries and tears to, to the Father. He was, a, he was a man of sorrows. And so for most people, we think that God can't relate, that God doesn't understand, but that's just simply not true. God's not some, some God that's far off and he's hard to reach and we have to get his attention. And, oh God, I'm over here. I'm, I'm really hurting God. I need your attention. I need your attention. No, 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 no. He's a God that sees you. He's a God that walks close with you. He's a God that hears every whisper, sees every tear, hears every cry. He's a God that cares for you deeply today. And I want you to understand this truth, that we would see that Jesus understands what it means to have pain, that Jesus understands what it means to have internal and external pain, what he understands what it means to be humans, human. He understands you. Listen, if you're married, you can think, listen, 
my wife or my husband doesn't understand you. That's right, they don't, but Jesus does, amen? And Jesus cares for you. When you're desperate and when you're, when you're walking through a very dark valley, Jesus understands. When you're lonely, Jesus understands what it means to be lonely. When you're internally and externally in pain and in anguish, Jesus understands how you feel. And here's, here's the truth. So many times in our pain, we look for everybody else to meet the need that's in our hearts. Now listen, be, be, you know, we look for, the, we look for our, our spouse to meet the need. We look for our children's um, maybe love to meet our need. We look for money to meet the need. We, we look for, for people to meet the, the need of what's going on inside of us. But here's the issue. Nobody on the earth is created to meet the need inside of your own heart. And you're constantly disappointed because nobody can meet the need. You're right. Nobody can meet the need. But there is one who is fully man and fully God who can meet your need. And his name is Jesus Christ. He wants to meet your need today. That's his heart for you. And our Savior, he shed tears in his ministry. And our Savior feels and he cares and he grieves. And according to that passage, he, with a loud cry... He understands your pain. He understands your struggle. He doesn't condemn you for your emotions and say, how dare you feel that way or, or, or have, have this emotion or how dare you have, have tears. Or, you just, come on, just pull yourself together. Come on, come on, get a hold of yourself, man. Jesus doesn't respond that way to you. He embraces you. In the midst of your raging emotions, in the midst of your questions, in the midst of your anguish, in the midst of your pain, and he holds you. And I want to lean in today to Jesus. I want us to understand him more. I want you to walk away with a sense that Jesus cares and understands your pain. Because we're going to look at three times that Jesus shed tears in the New Testament. And I pray that this encourages you and we learn something amazing from the word of God today. So why does Jesus shed tears? Number one, as we find he is heartbroken by the pain of others. This is one of the instances that we see that Jesus sheds tears. In John chapter 11, Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus is sick. And Mary and Martha, who were the, the sisters of Lazarus, they send word to Jesus. They said, listen, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. You need to come and heal him because it doesn't look good. And so what does Jesus do? Once he gets word, he waits. He waits one day. He waits two days. And now Lazarus is dead. Now, they didn't understand. Why would, Jesus, why, why, why would you do that? Why is it that, that Jesus waited? Well, we, we, we later find out that Jesus, as he showed up, he walked up to Lazarus. And as he, no, no, excuse me, he walks up to the family. I am struggling with jet lag just a little bit today. And Mary and Martha here, here, Jesus is coming. Now remember, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Martha came running, and she, heard, she, she ran up to him, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, if you'd only shown up, if you'd only just, just shown up and, and been here, things would be different. And Jesus said, hang on a minute, Martha. Your brother will live again. Now, they, they saw this as a denial. They thought that Jesus didn't show up, and he denied them. But actually, it wasn't a denial. It was a delay for what God wanted to do in their lives. And they walked towards the cave 
where Lazarus was, his body. Mary came running out and she fell at Jesus' feet and she was weeping tears of bitter grief. And this is where we encounter Jesus weeping. And she questions Jesus, why didn't you come sooner? You ever question Jesus, why didn't you come? Why didn't you, why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you do something? And we're in pain and we're hurting. And she's filled with grief and pain. And the Bible says that Jesus was moved. And we come to this passage in John chapter 11. And let's read it here. It says this, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and trouble. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see. Lord, they replied. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then this is this precious passage that shows the heart of Jesus is that Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loves him. I want you to understand something just for a minute. Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why is Jesus weeping? And this is, we begin to see the heart of Jesus that hopefully you can see today. Most people would think, listen, they were crying and Jesus said, hey, hey, knock it off. Come on, come on, wipe your tears. Stop crying. But he doesn't. It says that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He was moved by the hearts of these people who were broken and who were hurting. What's interesting in this, in this whole encounter that Jesus isn't focused on the miracle that he's about to go do. He's focused on the emotional misery of the mourners and what they're experiencing. And Jesus was so moved by their pain that it drove him to tears. He was so moved by their anguish. He was so moved that they had to experience pain that he wept. And whoever you are today, no matter, no matter what you're going through, I want to remind you that Jesus understands your pain. He even grieves alongside you. He is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And Jesus wept at this moment just like they were weeping. Jesus wept just like you did when you had a miscarriage. Jesus wept just like you did when your loved one passed away. Jesus wept just the way you did when you heard your friend was killed in a car wreck. Jesus wept when you received your diagnosis and you were filled with fear and anguish. Jesus wept when you were betrayed, when, when, you were, when someone served you divorce papers and you didn't see it coming. Jesus wept when you broke down from internal emotional pain and you couldn't control it and all you could do is weep. Jesus wept. He understands your pain. He was a man of sorrows. And you can find comfort in him today. No one else can fully understand, but he can. So we can run to him today. We can give our lives to him today, no matter what it is that you've had to deal with. Maybe you've wept as your own children have gone their own way. Maybe you've wept as your, as your own life has gone away you never thought it would go. Maybe you've wept as you... You've kind of hit the bottom financially and you thought it would never be this way. And you didn't know, where do I put these tears? And who really understands? Please hear me today. Jesus understands. Jesus understands. 
And he's the only one who can meet your need. Another reason Jesus shed tears is number two. He is deeply grieved for those who reject him. The setting for the second occasion that Jesus shed tears was what's often called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's what we call as Palm Sunday. It was the Sunday before the cross, before Jesus was crucified. And this day was emotional whiplash for Jesus. He was riding a donkey and the crowd was laying down palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And, and they were coming, blessed, they were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But Jesus knew that they would soon reject him. He knew that the same ones who would celebrate him coming into Jerusalem would be the same ones who would scream, crucify him. Emotional whiplash. But in the midst of their praise, he stops. He's coming down the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says that he loudly weeps over the city of Jerusalem. Let's read in Luke chapter 19, the second occasion that Jesus weeps. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus' heart was broken because these people would reject him. Jesus had come to his, to his own, to the Jews, and the Jewish nation as a whole rejected him. Now, here we have in this passage, when it was with Lazarus, the word that was used for weeping was an internal weeping where some tears slid down his face. But this word that was used here is a word that is coming from a deep, loud weeping and wailing. He wailed over the city and over those who would reject him. When I go to Israel, I always take some time as we come down Mount of Olives with the group that we're with, and we, we pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. And every time I do that, I can feel Jesus' anguish just in a very minor, minor way. His anguish as he wept over these people. His anguish because without Jesus, without their acceptance of Jesus, on this side of the grave, they are going to be lost in the same way, though, I think that the Lord Jesus weeps over the condition of every lost person who has rejected his gift of salvation on this earth. He weeps over them. He weeps over your family members who are lost. He weeps over your neighbors. He weeps over this city. He weeps over this nation. He weeps over the people of the world that reject him because he knows without him their eternal destiny is hell. That's why the Bible says in 2 Peter says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
God wants this world to be saved. God wants you to be saved. God wants your loved ones to be saved. God wants the people of this city to be saved. But this is what we know about God. He won't force anyone, but he does weep over them. Jesus wept over the lost. If we spend our entire life living it and we never recognize Jesus as God, we never receive his salvation, the truth is this, that we will receive the same kind of terrible judgment Jesus predicted for Jerusalem and its people. But this is what I know. God loves you. God loves your lost loved ones. God loves this city. God loves your neighbors. And God wants them to be saved. Jesus cares deeply, deeply for the lost of this world. He cares so much for those who aren't saved. And I believe that Jesus also weeps over the lost of the world. The second, or this last lesson we learned from the tears of Jesus is number three. He wept as he considered the pain of our salvation. So Hebrews 5, 7 says this. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from, de- <clears throat> from death. This refers to the anguish Jesus endured in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before his crucifixion at the tomb, this is something that's very, very interesting. At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus wept with his friends, or for his friends. On the Mount of Olives, as he prayed over the city, he wept over the city and the people. And in the garden, he wept for the whole world, including himself. We read in the Gospels that on the night Jesus was filled with sorrow, Luke writes about his experience, and let's read in Luke 22, says this, he, speaking of Jesus, withdrew about a stone's throw behind them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Something I just want you to just, just think about this for a minute. Take this cup from me, yet not, yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel of heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And he wept. And he prayed. In his prayer, Jesus spoke about this cup before him. And it's important you understand this cup so you can understand this passage in Hebrews. He prayed, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. There's something about this cup that caused Jesus to dread it. What was in this cup that made him cry, that made him weep before his father, that made him cry out to his father? And inside that cup that he was speaking of, the figurative cup was the cost of redeeming the lost world. The cup was full of emotional agony of being left alone that night. When Jesus was arrested by his disciples, all of them arrested by the Romans, all of his disciples fled. That cup also contained the physical agony of torture and crucifixion. 
Jesus had nerve endings just like in a human that would, that would shoot pain. And he had pain receptors to his brain and cause his body to quiver and shake. And, and just like a, like a dead corpse trying to escape. But he hung on the cross for us. He drank the cup. His humanity began to revolt against the thought of his blood being spilt from his body, knowing the curses of the crowd that just cheered him on are now going to curse him and spit on him. But the crucifixion was so much more than nails through his hands and his feet. That bitter cup that he spoke of, that he wept over, contained the spiritual agony of carrying the weight of sin in his own body. On the cross, the Father... I want you just to understand this for a moment. Transferred all the guilt, shame of the repulsive, perverse wickedness of every sinner who would ever walk on this planet, placed it upon Jesus. That's hard to understand. But if you were to imagine, let's just say an innocent 10-year-old boy who's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, had not experienced the filth of the world. And within a moment, you could lay on that precious boy the filth of a murderer, of a rapist. And he felt the shame and the guilt of a perverse sexual lifestyle, of thieving, of swindling, the guilt and the shame of all that, and you were to place the guilt and shame on that child who had never felt any of that. It would crush them. Jesus was pure. He was the spotless Lamb of God. His soul was as white as fallen snow, and he knew his soul would be polluted so that you could be cleansed. That's why Isaiah 1 says this, though your sins are like scarlet or red, they shall be as white as snow. Our Jesus, our Savior, his ministry was a man of sorrow and deep anguish. But he did it for us. He wept for us. He understands our pain. And he loves you. He loves you today. Very simple message, and I hope you can get this today. He loves you. When you think that you're alone and no one understands, He understands. When you think that his pain, your pain is different than someone else's, it might be, but Jesus understands. So, just one, real quickly, what are some lessons we can learn from the tears of Jesus? One, Jesus deeply cares for you. They're not on your notes, but you need to know this today. Jesus deeply cares for you. The second lesson is, what we can learn is this. We should desire to be moved by what moves Jesus as Jesus weeps and wept over the lost of Jerusalem and weeps over the lost of the world. We too should desire as followers of Jesus to be moved by what moves Jesus. We should care 
for what Jesus cares for. When we ask God to soften our hearts, when we say, God, give me your heart, what will happen is you will begin to weep over the things that Jesus weeps over. You will begin to grieve over the things that Jesus grieves over. And this is really as a believer and for us as a church, I really want to see the Lord Jesus give, his, give us his heart for the lost in our city, for the lost in this nation. But as a follower of Jesus, we should desire to be moved by what moves Jesus. Number three, something personal for all of us is this, is that your tears are precious to God. He doesn't forsake them. He doesn't get mad at you because of them. He doesn't think, well, I wish you'd be more mature. He, he doesn't rebuke you. He doesn't judge you. Your tears are precious to him. Every tear on the face of the planet, regardless of what language someone speaks, is the language that God understands. He understands tears. And our tears often express what our lips cannot communicate. And my encouragement to you today, let Jesus have your tears. And here's the last one, which is a, an amazing statement of hope. One day, he will wipe away all of our tears, all of your pain, all of your sorrow. The comfort that he gave you because of a situation in your home, the comfort that he gave you because of a, a loss, a comfort that he gave you and tears that you shed because of your own brokenness and heart, because of your own pain, because of life happened and it hurt and you wept. One day, he will wipe away all of our tears. Tears are temporary. And here, I just think about this statement for a moment. Tears are for this world only. You won't cry in heaven. There won't be any tears. There won't be any sorrow. There won't be any anxiety attacks. There won't be any de depression. There won't be any moments of, of deep pain and sorrow and feelings of, of being rejected and, and weeping through all. That won't exist in heaven. So Revelation 21 says this. says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has been passed away. How many are grateful for that? Amen. Amen. And my heart for you today is that you would know that Jesus understands. And you would put your hope in his care and his comfort on this side of the grave. But also with hopes and knowing that one day all your tears will be gone if you will put your trust in him. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, check our website at www.faith.church.